Lenny Kravitz. Anyone familiar with the name Lenny Kravitz? Any Lenny Kravitz fans in the building? Oh, yes, yes, there's multiple fans. Okay, uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, so Lenny Kravitz fans. All right, so Lenny was, for those of us who don't know, he's a, he's a singer-songwriter in the 90s. If we know anything about the 90s, it's that it has produced some of the best music on the planet, right? Oh, man. Lenny Kravitz. Uh, his first single was titled Let Love Rule. It put him on the map. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. Love is gentle as a rose, and love can conquer any war. It's time to take a stand. Brothers and sisters, join hands. Here's the chorus. We got to let love rule. Let love rule. We got to let love rule. Let love rule. Lenny wasn't wrong. We got to let love rule. Now, pro probably not in the way that Lenny would have imagined it, but... As we'll see in our passage this morning, love must rule us. Our identity as Trinity Community Church depends on it. So our big idea this morning, it's up on the screen, is this. A love-ruled church lives intentionally with one another and missionally for the sake of others. A love-ruled church lives intentionally with one another and missionally for the sake of others. So the author, we're just going to jump right into Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews begins this chapter with a Kravitz-like admonition. Let brotherly love continue. Your translation may some, say something like, keep, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. One author defines love this way. It says, love is the overflow and expansion of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. This is, is genuine love, and it's absolutely critical to our DNA as a church. Love isn't about our happiness. It's not about my happiness, my self-discovery, or my self-realization, self-expression. Love doesn't look for the bargain. It's not selfish or self-serving. It doesn't express itself, or excuse itself, rather, when, when the going gets tough. The love our author is speaking of here is much bigger than this. And I want to argue that, that without this love, we're nothing. Our message is, is meaningless. Our, our mission is aimless. We're nothing. Now, who here has seen one of those wacky, waving, inflatable tube guys? Yeah. They're strange, aren't they? They are really weird. I'm not sure what the point of those things are. They get your attention though, right? And I guess that's the point. They get your attention. There we go. Answered my own question. Um, what animates those freaky inflatable guys? What animates them? What causes them to be all wacky and wavy? It's air, right? Lots and lots and lots of forced air. If you rip the hose right out of the back, they're not so wacky and wavy anymore, right? Love, like air to those wacky, waving, inflatable tube guys, is the thing that animates us as a church. Without love, we're nothing. Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I have the gift of 
prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Trinity, we're nothing without love. Love needs to permeate everything that we are, everything that we do. It needs to fill us. It needs to flow out from us. We need to pursue love for one another. We need to work hard at it, to to abide in it. It needs to rule us or we'll wither. We'll become nothing. And everything that we do is going to work against the gospel that we proclaim. Everything that we do will work against the mission that we're after here. So this, this love that animates us is a big love because it originates in something, or should I say someone, that is outside of us. It's, something, it's not something that we create. It's not something that we define. This love is a big love because its source is a really big God. John makes this extraordinary claim in 1 John 4, 8. Three simple words. God is love. John's not saying that there's this, there's this thing out there called love and that God measures up to it, right? He's saying God in himself is love. He's the measure of love itself. He himself is the definition of love. He gives us the reality of love. Without the person of God, love literally ceases to exist. It ceases to exist because it can't exist apart from God, because God is love. So this love is a really, really big love. We might even say that it's, it's an extraordinary love. It's an otherworldly kind of thing. God's a big God, so, so this love that the author of Hebrews commends to us is a big love. Now get this. Get this, this pastor wants his church to see that that this big love is a ruling thing. Interesting. It's a ruling thing. It's not some amorphous, undefinable thing. God's love draws lines, has edges, it makes commitments, it offers correction. So does ours. It's a ruling thing. When he says, let your love for one another continue, he's saying, let love rule you. Let it rule you. So a question, what does it look like? What does it it look and sound like to be ruled by love, to be a love-ruled church? What defines, what are some of the defining marks? That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on this morning, looking at some of these things. Thankfully, We don't need to figure this stuff out on our own, right? With the space that remains, the author of Hebrews provides us some very practical, very earthy, very ordinary ways that we as a community demonstrate that we're ruled by love. So we're going to look at those. So the first thing our author, the author of Hebrews, wants us to see is that a love-ruled church is in lives intentionally in community with one another. A love-ruled church lives intentionally with one another. He puts a really high priority on, on being intentional with one another. 
So I want to spend just a few moments. There's, there's a lot that we could look at in this text. We're just going to focus on a few things. Look at verse 7 with me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now notice that, that he's not saying here, remember your leaders, those who are speaking this word to you. They spoke it, past tense, implied that they're no, lo- they're no longer speaking it. These are former leaders, not present ones. Also notice that he's not saying, remember, remember your pastors. That's not what he says. He's saying, remember your leaders. Pastors are leaders. We're called to lead. But leaders within the church aren't always pastors. We see this here at Trinity Community Church, right? We have men and women in positions of leadership. We have CG leaders, community group leaders. We've got women's ministry. We've got Trinity kids. So we have leaders within the church. So the author of Hebrews is saying, remember those who led you to Jesus. Study, look at their lives, study their lives, imitate their faith. Be like them insofar as they are like Jesus. Now maybe, maybe you can point to people in your life, leaders who God has used as instruments in your life to, to help shape and mold you, And they're a gift. They're a real gift from God to his church. Honor them. Thank God for them. But maybe you can't. Maybe you can't identify someone like this. Maybe maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're new to the church. Or maybe you just haven't experienced the good gift of knowing someone whose faith is worth imitating. Regardless of where we're at, it's my hope, it's my prayer that that we as a church would work hard to become this for one another. I want us to be so captured by this gospel that we proclaim, that, that we can't help but lead lives that are worthy of being imitated, that, that our hope and faith in Jesus would spill out and so radically shape our lives that others want to imitate us. I want whoever's next behind us to say, oh, I, I remember him. Or, I, I remember her. I want us to leave a legacy of faith. I think that's what our author wants too. I already see this. I think if you can look around, I think we could see this happening in our church, and it's deeply encouraging. I hope you see it too. Another way that we let love Rule in our intentional living is this. We help one another stay close to Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus Christ, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Listen, as pastors... Speaking for our pastors, it's our serious joy to watch over your souls, to care for your souls. And I mean this. It's our delight to do this. Let me just say a side note. If it's ever evident that that it's no longer our joy to care for your souls, I'm convinced that you need to get rid of us. I think you need to get rid of us. 
It's your responsibility to do this, I think. Hebrews 13, 17 says that, that we would be of no advantage to you if to care for your souls is not our joy. Your pastors, myself, Josh, Brandon, Lou, Ernie, were ordinary men, needy, we're a needy group of people. We're a needy group of men. We're, we're limping along just like you. We need Jesus just as much as you do. So pray that, that it would increasingly be our joy to, to care for your souls. We need your prayers in this. Back to what we're saying. So it's, it's our solemn joy, our weighty and wonderful privilege to watch over your souls as pastors. But look, our author is not saying that it's the responsibility of just these five or eight or 12 or however many men, pastors, to keep you from falling to keep you from drifting off and forsaking Christ. He says, it's your responsibility. Not only personally, but together as a church. He's saying, church, make sure you're not being led away from this word and this gospel. Trinity, don't let yourselves be led astray by anything, anything that promises you help and hope apart from Jesus. Cling to Jesus, your only help, your only hope. We need to help each other do this, to stay close to Jesus. Now listen, if, if we're ruled by love, we're going to be really intentional with pursuing one another in this. Love looks like pressing into one another's lives even when it feels inconvenient or terrifying or awkward. Maybe it's that, that person in your community group that hasn't been there for a while. They're struggling. You know they're struggling. Reach out. Press in. Love goes to the hard places and it asks the hard questions. That's what it means to be a love-ruled church. We're not ruled by our own preferences Love rules us, so, so we go after each other when we fall, or when we, when we drift away, or when we stray, or whatever. And we point one another to Jesus, our only help and hope. And we remain, and we remind ourselves of him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So a love-ruled church lives intentionally in community with one another. Our second point this morning is that a love-ruled church lives missionally for the sake of others. A love-ruled church lives missionally for the sake of others. We're, we're given a really beautiful and compelling picture of what this looks like in verses 12 through 14. Start with me. Look, at, look with me at verse 10. We're going to read through to verse 14. We have, our author says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. Here we go. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So the author is he's drawing a really clear line from the Old Testament sacrificial system to Jesus. We're not going to get into the details of this system. You can look back and listen back to Josh's excellent sermon from last week. He unpacks these details. We're, we're, we're going to zero in here on this radical call made in, in verse 13. Starting at verse 12, we read, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Go and give of ourselves for the sake of others' eternal joy in Jesus. That's our mission. Now notice, notice with me that, that this mission is grounded in the already accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 12, Jesus suffered. He suffered outside the gate to sanctify us through his blood. Jesus suffered outside the gate. He traded the the eternal comfort and security and bliss of heaven to suffer and die for our sake. Paul says it like this. He says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Peter tells us that that he suffered once for sin. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God. Jesus willingly came to this earth in poverty, in weakness, in humility, and he spent himself for our eternal joy. He saw our, our desperate need for saving, and he spent himself, every ounce of his life, every drop of his own blood, so that we would have life in his name. This is, this is radical, right? This is radical love. Now get this. Those for whom Jesus spent himself, spend themselves on and for the sake of others. Let me read that again. Those for whom Jesus spent himself, spend themselves on and for the sake of others. He he died and he lives to sanctify us. That's verse 12, to make us holy and loving and different than the rest of the world. So we, verse 13, we go to him outside the camp. Jesus spent his life for our sake so that we would spend our lives for the sake of others. This is truly radical and it's what it means for us to be a love ruled church remember our definition of love it's the overflow of our joy in god which gladly meets the needs of others love follows jesus and it it goes beyond the outer gate to those outside the camp now we're going to press in here Here's the real test of whether or not we're really ruled by love or not. We'll willingly and joyfully go outside the camp and bear the reproach that Jesus endured. We're not going to live for our own comfort. We'll spend every ounce of our lives. We'll give of our time, of our money, of our gifts, everything for this. We'll think 
of our whole lives as following Jesus beyond the safety and comfort of our Trinity camp, spending ourselves, giving ourselves for the sake of those outside of the camp. Now, please don't hear me saying that that you should go do big things for God, whatever that means. That's not what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that to follow Jesus is to to go, and to go outside the camp means that, that you need to pack up your life and take the gospel to Peru or Uganda or Romania or Japan or wherever. It might mean this for some of us, and I pray that God would stir that desire and and our affections in that way to take the gospel out and beyond these walls around the globe. But most of us aren't called to do this. But hear me on this. Every single one of us is called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus and go to those outside the camp. Every one of us is called to leave the comfort of this little Trinity camp. Every one of us is called to move toward need. So outside the camp, I think, I would argue, is nearer than we might think. We don't have to go far to get to those outside the camp. They live where you live. They shop where you shop. They eat where you eat, they work where you work. They go to the gym where you go to the gym. Their kids go to school where your kids go to school. They play on the same teams that your kids play on. They play at the same parks that your kids play at. Outside the gate, outside the camp is in your backyard. It's right outside your front step. So let's get practical here. Where do we begin? Where on earth do we begin to live missionally for the sake of others? Where do we begin when we're thinking about how to practice this? You can think of more questions than this. I came up with three questions that we can ask ourselves. First question, what are the needs of those around me? How can I help meet those needs? What are the needs of those around me, and how can I meet those needs? It might look like moving toward your neighbor who's grieving the loss of her son, moving toward her in her pain and her grief and her sorrow. Simply show up, sit with her, weep with her, pray with her. Love sees needs, and it moves toward needs. Here's another question. In what what ways is my presence lacking in the communities that God has rooted me in? In what ways is my presence lacking in the communities that God's rooted me in? Maybe Maybe it's eating lunch in the break room and not by yourself. Maybe it's taking your kids to that that park, that neighborhood park, in the same park and doing it over and over again. Love is present. It moves away from comfort and it moves toward need. It moves toward others. Here's another question. 
How am I building friendship? How am I looking for and building friendship with those around me? You know, it's not just showing up at the park, right? Check. I showed up at the park. Kids played at the park. I'm good to go. It's not just showing up at the same park over and over and over again. It's starting friendships with those in our communities. It's moving toward people. It's caring about people and caring for people. Why do all this? Why do we do this? Why give and give and give? Why spend, spend, spend our lives day in, day out for the sake of those outside the camp? Verse 14 is our motivation. Look with me at verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. Our motivation for following Jesus to the outskirts going outside the camp, toward need, bearing reproach, loving and caring for people is because there's another city coming. There's another city coming. It's a glorious city, better than anything that we could ever imagine. God himself, he's going to dwell in this city, unrivaled in beauty and majesty and glory Jesus didn't die so that we would pursue paradise here on earth. It's not why he came to this earth to die. We have no lasting city here. He died so that we would leave the comfort and security of our camp and we would move toward need and we would live out radical love for others so that the eyes of those who live outside the gate would be open to the wonder and majesty of Jesus. That they would would be radically changed by a radical love and give their lives to a radical mission. Trinity, there's another city coming. There's another city coming, and it's a glorious city, better than any paradise we could ever imagine for ourselves. So I encourage you, let's keep our gaze locked on this eternal city and give our whole lives to following Jesus beyond the safety and comfort of our Trinity camp. Gladly spending ourselves, gladly pursuing others for the sake of others' hope and joy in Jesus. A love-ruled church lives intentionally with one another. And a love-ruled church lives missionally for the sake of others. Will you join me in living out this identity? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you pursued us in our need. We're desperate, needy people. We can't save ourselves. You've pursued us. You've brought us near. You willingly went beyond the gate, outside the camp, shed your own blood for us 
to bring us into the family of God. We are eternally grateful for that. I pray that this love that you have for us would so fill us that it would spill out, that it would flow out from everything that we do here as a church. And when we leave this place and scatter and be the church in the communities that you've rooted us in, I pray, Father, that we would be ruled by love, that we would pursue one another, be intentional with one another in love. Help us to do this. Help us to move out, outward toward others, to move toward need and leave comfort for the sake of your mission, for the sake of the fame of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.